Welcome to The Push, taking you inside the world of wheelchair tennis. Welcome to episode five of the Push Wheelchair Tennis Podcast, part of the first serve suite of tennis podcasts. I'm Tim Conley, the wheelchair hub manager at Hume Tennis, and I'm thrilled to be hosting this podcast with my co-host, Paralympian athlete, Heath Davison. Heath, good to see you again, and you're back in Australia. I am, Timmy. Good to see you too, mate. How have you been? Yep. No, well, there's been a lot going on. Special royalty guest all the way from the States, Dave Wagner. He is wheelchair royalty, isn't he? he everything that he's he done. He definitely is wheelchair royalty. He's probably going to go down as the best quad tennis player of all time. Dylan will hate me saying that, but pretty much done it all, Wag. He's amazing at what he does. He's probably got the best hands in wheelchair tennis, I personally think even beats most of the men and women in the open categories. And, I mean, we did a kids on court day at the Australian Open this year with a volley competition, and he even beat the able bods. So he's got pretty good hands, the old man. Yeah, no, I do. I remember that, actually, that all the pros and everyone got eliminated one by one, and it was him and who was he left with? It was either Azarenka or Igor. I can't remember, but he hit like a lob volley, and then I think it was Igor, and then Igor went through the legs, and he just, like, put a volley away. It was pretty funny. You've been to the U.S., the U.S. swing. Tell us about it. How did it all go? Uh, U.S. Open was amazing, man. They run a great tournament over there. It's pretty cool being in New York and um, staying in Manhattan for, for the week and a half that it's on. Unfortunately, I bombed out to our guest today, Dave, in the quarterfinals. He he was on fire late in that third set, man. It was a um, close match, went back and forth. Props to him. He's, he's definitely a battler, and he never gives up, which is which is awesome. Like, it doesn't matter how much of a lead you've got. He just keeps fighting, fighting, fighting. And was pulling out some vintage wag shots. He did a behind the back, down the line backhand, which I haven't seen him do since I started nine years ago. So he definitely wanted it that day. And in all fairness, it was a hell of a good tennis match. So I did get to watch it here live. So it was tight. It sort of ebbed and flowed in that third set, didn't it? Yeah, I mean, I got out to a great start. It was 3-1 up. Um, we'd had a long break. Uh, in between the second and third set because of the heat rule. So it was a nightmare, the weather over in New York this year. But yeah, I had about half an hour in between sets and I came out firing. Like it was really good. I think it took wags a little bit to get back into it. At four all, I had a put away forehand and dumped it into the bottom of the net, which gave him a sniff. And then he held serve and then managed to managed to break me to um, take it out. Yeah, it was definitely back and forth. Um, it's always always fun playing Wags. Like, we go out on court against Wags, and Wags is 44 now. He's getting on in life, um, starting to slow down a little bit, but he just just unbelievable on that court. He, he just knows what you're going to do before you do it. He's a type of player that he presses up a lot, so he makes you panic when you don't necessarily have to, which is awesome. And I, I love playing him. It's always a good battle. Between me and him, um, I love that he carries on a little bit. It's fun, brings the crowd into it and all of that stuff. But, I mean, me and Wags are pretty close these days after after the, as I said, eight years that I've been on tour. Like, we um, always catch up for a beer at the end of, end of the week or whatever. And, I mean, it's always good to be out there competing with the best and having a battle with somebody that you honestly look up to because... Back when I started, he was just unbelievable. He's been doing this for 15 years, I think, 16 years. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, he's just, he's definitely a veteran. And just to be out on the court playing against a guy that's done so much for our sport is, is awesome. Yeah. Well, I think one of the reasons why he does like you is he's actually 49. So, 49. 
He's born in 1974, so that's probably why I mean, we've got a rule at TA that we uh, made up a few years ago. So the rule is that if you lose to somebody over 50, you've got to retire. <laughs> so, I mean, shit, hopefully I don't lose to him next year. Yeah. Like, it's going to be a rough year for me. Yeah, well, yeah. Yeah, hopefully he's always on the other side of the draw. So, hey, just, t- just tell us about, you know, being in New York and, you know, you're staying in New York and then out to the, you know, because you're always on the bus. Are you catching the bus or in a car? I used to have to nah. catch the bus. Come on, mate. I'm not catching no bus anywhere, Timmy. Okay. Fair Public enough. transport may do not go well, but No, no. The bus, they, they have a, you know, a, a coterie bus for the US Open that goes from the major hotels. Yeah, they, they do. That's for the juniors and for, like, uh, if you've got, like, an entourage of people instead of just your coach and stuff like that, they have to get the bus. But, no, we were, we were lucky enough to get in um, Escalades pretty much every day and sit there and get driven around which was cool um had a cool experience actually on the way home one day one of our drivers um that was driving myself and marco back to the hotel grew up in brooklyn no sorry in the bronx he asked if we wanted to go for a little tour around where he grew up um because i'd never been through harlem or anything like that and i said yeah why not so he took us for a cruise down down past the apollo theater and showed us where he grew up in the projects and um i mean look it's a wild place and back in those days i think it would have been worse than it is today so pretty cool to see see um where he grew up and his grandma still lives in the same building that he grew up in it's crazy but yeah manhattan's awesome i mean i've got a new york slice of pizza on my finger because oh. one of my favorite places in the world and i get to play a grand slam there and it's also one of my favorite foods so yeah it's cool it's just such a always on the go like it's just like it's it's like organized chaos i'd like to call manhattan it's just there's something going on there's a nightlife, there's cars everywhere, there's people hailing taxis, like bellboys blowing whistles. Yeah. It's just, it's nuts. It's constantly, constantly going. And then obviously heading out to Flushing Meadows every day to play is awesome. I mean, I thought we got some celebrities at the Australian Open. Oh, no, we don't. So any celebrity moments for you while you were there? Like any- uh, I did wheel past Hermione Granger, also known as Emma Watson yeah. at one point, and I went to turn around and say hi, and I'm like, uh, that's Hermione. She was in Harry Potter, and I'm a massive Harry Potter geek, so it was a bit yeah. of a, like, starstruck moment for me. But, yeah, I mean, Leonardo DiCaprio was there. You had Jimmy Butler there every day watching Coco. Yeah, it's just the proper A-list celebrities just floating around, which is cool. And let's just – a couple of the results from the US Open in the wheelies. That What a great week for the GB team. Yeah, me boy. Me boy, G.O., Got himself back into a final. So, yeah, and no, I was pretty happy with um, his performance. For those who don't know, Gordon Reed, who was on, I think, episode three of the podcast. Yeah. So, yeah he's a ripper. So, yeah, he, he's, um, he hasn't played in the Grand Slam final in a hot minute. So it was really cool to see him find some form and get himself back there. But obviously, Alfie Hewitt, too good on the day. Um, just, I think, I think Takedo being so dominant this year has given Alfie a bit of a fire to... Uh, get back to the top, which is cool. Wildly, Takedo dropped out super early, so that yeah. was interesting. Um, no no story there? Any story? Uh, mate, wouldn't have a clue. Yeah, I didn't really see much, to be honest with you. But, I mean, and then you've got the the men's doubles, which is crazy, and you've got Houday winning Houday yeah. winning another another slam. I mean, and he's Houday's like 84 these days, I think. <laughs> he's um, definitely getting on. But, once again, unbelievable tennis player. 
Um, I think he won with Sonata, so that was a pretty cool result. Sonata's mm. first ever Grand Slam doubles doubles win, which is awesome. Um, once again in the females, Dita just tearing it up. I mean, she's almost unstoppable at the moment. Mm. Um, it, it's it's so cool. I mean, look, I love Dita to bits. She's unbelievable. I just want to see her get tested. I want to see. I want to see somebody really test her. I thought Yui was doing pretty well earlier in the year. Adidas just turned it up another notch, man. I think this is her third straight calendar year slam. Yeah, it's crazy. Um, it's unbelievable. So, yeah. And when you see her physically, she's so fit. Oh, uh, yeah. She's a proper professional athlete. It's unbelievable. Unlike myself, who doesn't mind drinking a beer on a nice hot day. So um, You're looking pretty fit at the moment, I reckon. But then, and look, I guess you compare it to Yui and... You know, Yui is such a beautiful soul, but she's so petite, isn't she? That she's just little. Gener- generates she just looks the power small. That she does. Yeah. I mean, and she's trying, like, Yui, fair play to Yui. She's changed a heap in her game and made her game way more aggressive because it's the only way she can compete with Dita. So props to Yui. I mean, look, I hope Yui can get it done at some point. Look, Dita's just, she's on another level at the moment, which is, which is pretty cool. I mean, the Dutch are just. They breed good tennis players. You had Esther Vigier that had, I think, 536 consecutive wins. Um, yeah. And Dita's on her way there. So they just breed good tennis players. And then you've got, I think, KG, KG and Yui won the doubles. Um, unfortunately, Yiska had to pull out due to illness. Okay. Um, so it was pretty cool to see my good mate KG get a US Open doubles trophy with Yui. Coming back to the quads. Uh, Sam Schroeder got it done. He just was – it was pretty good. I mean, Niels – I think I had Niels going in favourite pretty comfortably, um, but Niels just decided to try and out-hit him, and I don't think the game plan was very good. Sam loves the US Open courts. Mm. A lot of room. Ball was real bouncy, mm. so Sam can sit back and just swing, and he's probably the cleanest striker in the quads. So, yeah, it was, it was pretty cool. And also – Huge thank you to the US Open too for having the first 16 draw for the quads. So it was really cool to see 16 quads there this year and hopefully the um, Australian Open can do it. And then moving forward, we just get bigger and bigger and wheelchair tennis just keeps growing. Yeah, no, that it is growing all the time. And I know with some of the meetings we're having already regarding next year for out at Hume for the Melbourne Wheelchair Tennis Open and Victorian Wheelchair Tennis Open that, yeah, we, we, we're expecting the biggest draws we've ever had. Definitely, especially being a Paralympic year as well. I think we're going to get a few people. And um, I do, I have heard a couple of rumors that we are actually asking for extended draw sizes for the lead in tournaments. So we might actually try and get bigger, bigger draw sizes in the quads and whatnot. So hopefully that all happens, man, because it's one of the tough things being from Australia and hosting tournaments in Australia because it's so far for people to travel and because the AO's attached at the end of it, yep. a lot of players don't come over if they're not playing the Australian Open. It's because it costs so much money. Yeah, of course. So, yeah, to have have a Paralympic year and uh, potentially bigger draw sizes, like hopefully, hopefully we can get some numbers. And, I mean, it'll be a nightmare for you because you'll have to host so many more players. But mm-hmm. you do a great job out at Hume and we love being there. And, um yeah, hopefully the courts. Uh, do, did I hear through the grapevine that the courts are getting resurfaced? They're all getting resurfaced. We're sort of going through that process right now, and we're we're even joining the US 
and getting some multi-line with pickleball courts. Tell use pickleball over there. Is it crazy? Get pickleball courts. Yeah, pickleball is massive. You've got like Jack Sock and all that that have left tennis to go play pickleball. It is pretty big. I was actually just down at Kuyong during the week having a meeting and they're putting pickleball courts in there as well. So pickleball is taken off. I mean, yeah. I don't know how we'd go in wheelchairs playing it, but I know over in Europe they play paddle a lot. So, or pedal, they like to call it. So, yeah, it's it's taken over slowly. Just touching on that, like the, you know, these different formats of tennis, like are they, you know, can, in a wheelchair, can you play pedal or can you play, like, what did you, what have you experienced? I mean, look, so I've played tennis with a pedal racket against Stefan Olsen because um, Stefan Olsen used to be a wheelchair tennis player, but he loves Padel, so he plays that all the time just to keep fit because he's not playing yeah. tennis anymore. It's a little bit different in the sense that it's really small and there's glass, so if you hit the glass, it hurts. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but, yeah, you can do it. I mean, I don't know if it'll ever take off in the wheelchair sector. You definitely can, and I've never played pickleball, so we'll have to have to get out and have a hit um, in January up at Hume. Yeah, it'll be interesting. Since you've been back, there's been a couple of ITS, one in Sydney and one in Canberra. I know you're up in Sydney. Tell us about... What was going up in Sydney a couple of weeks ago? Oh, so the New South Wales Open was on in Sydney last weekend. It's a futures event, so I'm not allowed to play it because I'm ranked too high. But I just went up to help out with the juniors and do a come and try day up there. And we were lucky enough to have um, Adam Hills, who's an Australian comedian that lives over in uh, London that has been on Spicks and Specs and hosts his own show called The Last Leg. He's missing a foot, so he's trying to get adaptive tennis going. So for amputees and stuff that don't want to play in a wheelchair, which is a really cool concept. And um, look, I just hadn't really heard much about it until I got talking to him about it uh, last weekend. But that was a really cool day. Um, and we had lots of lots of kids there, which was cool. We got to hit with all of them. I learned a new game that um, I thought was really cool called fruit salad. So you get everyone lined up at the net and then you pull the fruit out and if it's their fruit, they've got to volley it. So that was really cool and fun. But yeah, I I love I love being around like the younger the younger folk and helping out as much as I can. It's something that I'm really passionate about and whatnot. Ben Weeks, I think Ben Weeks took out the tournament and then I think the one of the Chinese ladies was here and she won the, the women's and Finn Broadbent won the quads. Yep. And then Canberra is just finished. Ben won Canberra. Chinese lady won the women's again. But your boy, Ginny, yes. managed to win Canberra. So, yes. I mean, I think those quads are fighting off for a double spot with me. So, I mean, look, yeah. it's um, pretty good competition. And we have the nationals coming up towards the end of the year and um, I'm going to go play the quad division. So get to test these these young fellas out and ladies out. Yeah, well, the, the draw sizes for the last two weeks have been incredible, just growing. Like for, you know, it wasn't that long ago we weren't having a women's draw and now to have a women's draw is great. The quads draw, men's singles, like there, there was – how many players? Do you... I think we had six teams across the board, so it's yeah. pretty cool. I mean – which is great considering it's a middle-of-the-year tournament, which is a futures. We had girls and boys from Japan come down, from China come down, and then just a lot of the locals, which was awesome to see everyone together and playing tennis. It's um, it's pretty cool.
David Wagner, one of the all-time great wheelchair quad tennis players, has graced this with his presence finally, and he's here on the call. So, welcome, David. Hey, thanks, dude. Dave, it's so good to hear you, and thanks for joining us. Dave, I think it's important just to recognise your status in wheelchair tennis, and we know that you're a revered figure in the world of Paralympic sports. You're celebrated for your indomitable spirit and exceptional skill and significant contributions to wheelchair tennis. You're getting up there now. You are born in 1974 in California. You are very resilient and an excellence in the face of the sport. From a young age, I know you loved tennis, and it was following a life-altering accident in 1995 that left you a quadriplegic. Can't thank you enough for joining us. Tell us, what has been one of your best moments in your long, illustrious career? I, d- I didn't even talk about, you know, could have kept going, but how many Paralympic medals you've won, same titles, as an insight into your career. Ah, uh, yeah, thanks. Yeah, I mean, I, I found wheelchair tennis in 1999. I got hurt in 95 and found wheelchair tennis in 99 through, uh, basically, it was just like an ad in a magazine called Sports. Sports and Spokes, which is like Sports Illustrated for disabled athletes, basically. So it kind of was a magazine that just just spread the news about all disabled sports. And I just saw an advertisement for wheelchair tennis clinic in the in the Portland, Oregon area. And I was actually at the time going to school close by. So I showed up and uh, yeah, literally just got out there on the court and didn't know the first thing about disabled sports or disabled wheelchair tennis just like hit my first ball and and taped the racket to my hand hit my first ball and was like holy crap this is awesome and uh yeah just from that moment on it was just like yeah this is fun this is cool i want to be part of this and do it as much as i can and uh yes and i i got really lucky at that camp there was uh, one of the, the high-performance wheelchair tennis coach named Dan James was actually uh, one of the guys running the camp. And uh, so I, I got it. I was able to learn from him at the time uh, all about wheelchair tennis and uh, just just t- soaked it in like a sponge. You know, I just took in every little bit I could of information from him. Yeah, and then, and then uh, learned about the, the tour that we have and, and travel the world and, and continue to play. Yeah, really, really thoroughly, really enjoyed it. And, and still do to this day. But yeah, I mean, I, I've, I've been able to represent, you know, the, I'm from the United States, so represent the U.S. And uh, I've been to five Paralympic Games. Uh, my first was 04. Uh, and that was the, the first year that the quads uh, were actually in wheelchair tennis, the quad division. Um, so uh, it was cool to, to be able to be part of that inaugural uh, Paralympic opportunity. Um, and then, and then, uh, yeah, then, then that was Athens and then 08 was Beijing and 2012 was, um, London and 2016 was Rio. And then just the most recent one, uh, which <laughs> wasn't that recent anymore, but was uh, 2020, but that was COVID time. So it was actually 2021 in Tokyo. So, um, yeah, it's been, it's been fun. And then, you know, just to get to play around the world, not just in the Paralympics, but in the Grand Slams and, and, uh, so play the, the AO, the Australian Open, Roland Garros, Wimbledon, and and the U.S. Open, um, just been just been super fun and just thoroughly enjoy it. Love that, man. I obviously I've only been around for a hot minute now, so I've been to two Paralympics, but um, I'm hoping that one day, um, I can look back and have a have a career like yours, man. It's it's pretty bloody impressive, if I'm being honest. From me, a couple of questions just for those newbies who 
have um, only like recently tuned into wheelchair tennis. If they've watched any of my games, um, being from Australia, they notice that I don't tape my hand. You tape your hand. Why is that? And how did you come up with your grip? So for me, um, I, I have to use an assistive device to hold the racket. Um, it's the only way I can actually hit a ball. My, my grip strength's just not strong enough. Otherwise, if I, if I, I mean, I can hold the racket, but when the ball hits it, it just falls out of my hand. Um, I just don't have the strength to hold it. And so using an assistive device, there, there's multiple options. But for me, it just worked out to use athletic tape. I learned from, at the time, another player who was doing that, um, and or multiple players, to be honest, actually, that, that did that back then. There was no real prosthetics built for any of that, or, or no one had come up with any ideas of how to you know, use any other system, really. Um, to really strap that that racket to our hands and so um so i just learned that I mean, that's just how i learned from the beginning of time um is my my hands they they work at about 30 percent of what normal able you know, normal functioning hands would be and so um so i just have to do that um to be able to play in in feed balls hit balls do play wheelchair tennis and and i don't really look at it as like you know it is what it is i mean to play wheelchair tennis i have to have an assistive device just to play and that assistive device is a wheelchair and for me i just have to have another assistive device and that's some athletic tape to uh, hold the racket otherwise you know i'm not able to play at all so but uh yeah so i tape the racket an eastern forehand grip so it's a it's a pretty neutral grip. It's a bit of a hybrid continental to an eastern forehand, but it allows me to still be able to kind of come as reasonably close to hitting every single stroke as possible. Um, some some strokes I I have a little more spin can add more spin to and and whatnot. But yeah, the the the, the eastern forehand really benefits my style of play uh, as well as as uh, my serve my volley. Uh, you know, groundies and and all of that because you got you got to remember like when you're taped, you're not changing your grip, right? And so um, I'm in that same grip for every single stroke, whether it be uh, you know a body shot where you're jammed or a, a, a toppy backhand, a slice backhand, forehand slice, forehand top spin. Um, so so I just kind of found it just was a bit of a neutral grip for me that just really seemed to to work um, when I played as an able-bodied kid. I, I had, um, you know, the, the full Western forehand. And while that's a great grip, you know, it, and it, it works in wheelchair still to this day, it doesn't work if you have to stay in that for everything. You know, serving and volleying out of a, out of a full Western is, is pretty miserable. Um, and so um, so it just, it just didn't feel right for me to do anything uh, other than the, uh, the, the, the Eastern forehand. Um, and then, and then I was able to, you know, manipulate my wrist a little bit, which is not at full strength either, but manipulate my wrist on certain shots to get the racket head still in the same position that it would be if I had switched the grip or was in the other grip. So, so I'm able to manipulate the racket head, uh, by, by maneuvering my, my wrist, a little twisting my wrist, um, to at least have the racket face and head facing and, and be in the right direction. That's a really good explanation, man. And I mean, like, obviously I've played you numerous times now, man. And you were talking about hitting a toppy backhand. I recently played you at the US Open and you got the better of me. And I just remember this one shot that I pushed you wide and you've gone toppy backhand line. I didn't think you had that in your arsenal, but you proved me wrong. And I was just like, yeah, right, <laughs> I get off at champ. But um, 
<laughs> nah, man, it's it's pretty amazing, pretty amazing what you do with the racket. So, Dave, we I guess we've seen you a lot in Australia now, and you've travelled the world. So, tell us about some of the best places you've been to that are that really stand out. I guess the US Open is obviously one of the, your favourite places, but what about outside the US that you like to go? Playing inside the US is is comfortable because it is it's home and it is you know what what I know. So so that definitely you know it ha- has a has a nice place in in my heart. Um, but I I mean to to be honest, my 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 truly my favourite Grand Slam is is still the Australian Open. I, I've always thoroughly enjoyed my time there. Um, you know, Craig Kylie does a wonderful job and, and, and we're just fully included there at the actual event. We've got the lead in events there at the Hume tennis center, uh, that, that you, that you help with Tim and, and, uh, you know, it's just, it's, it's a really fun time, um, starting the year off at, at, in Australia in the summer and just, you know, and, and an educated crowd. Um, I think it, it, it really does set the tone for the whole year of, of what we can expect and kind of kind of sets the standard for, for what what other tournaments should strive to be throughout the rest of the year. So for me that that's always been like one of my favorite most looking forward to events is, is the whole AO summer series, you know, just, just uh, um, you know, I, I, we only have two outside of the AO and then the AO. I'd love us to have more uh, down, down there, you know, and get, get a few extra uh, matches in and extra tournaments in. And I know it's a big ask, but, but that would be super awesome. But, but I've always loved being there and I, I, I truly do love the city of Melbourne and uh, you know, I have great friends that live there and, and people that I hang out with and just enjoy. Um, and I, I've just always really enjoyed it there, but that that's not to say I don't enjoy other tournaments, you know I mean? The, the nostalgia and the history at Wimbledon is, is phenomenal, right? Like to be, just even part of that is is incredible um and and then some of the stops on our own tour you know i've 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 always loved japan open for us and and most people don't because it's kind of secluded and out in the middle of nowhere um or they don't like the food or or whatever it is but for me i've just always really enjoyed japan open and and uh we play in a little town izuka and um, just, just, it's been one of my favorite tournaments. It's peaceful. It's quiet. It's out, out up in the hillside. And, and, uh, I've thoroughly enjoyed that. I mean, the, the beauty of our sport is, is we're not forced to go to places you don't really want to go to. You know, there are sometimes you got to play a tournament maybe that you, you, you wouldn't normally go play or whatever, cause it falls at a certain time on the calendar, but you know, we, we pick our own schedule. So if you're, if you're picking a place you don't want to be at, that's kind of on your own, you know, it's on your own fault for for picking that that tournament um so for me i i pick the ones that i enjoy and uh korea i i thoroughly enjoy the ones in korea and, and japan so i like the, our asia swing is is fun you know we've got our tour stops here in in, in the states uh, europe i mean there, there's just like I, it's it's yeah. super hard to honestly just like pick just one that stands out but but if i had to it's it's and, and it's not just because i'm talking to you guys in australia it's it's the whole AO summer that just just really like feels good to me and and it feels like we're we're really moving forward uh with some things down there. Now with that being said, I mean <laughs> I, I would also say it would be really great to have a little more PR at the first two events for the wheelchairs so that it kind of piques the interest of spectators so that when we get to the AO, they're ready for us to be there. It, you know, can't fault that, that, that it doesn't happen. The, the U.S. Open, we don't even have a lead-up tournament, you know? So um, so that that's a frustration that we face here in the United States is, is we don't have lead-up tournaments 
or or afterwards tournaments to even go play. So you just come back to the U.S. at the end of end of the towards the end of the year in September, and you play the U.S. Open and you're done. Great event, don't get me wrong, great event, but 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 just the 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 whole PR behind it and and the lead ups and all the what what AO Summer Series offers is just been phenomenal for me. So that bit of a global tour, Heath, wasn't it? Um, it was. <laughs> So I guess now though that there was just recently sixteen players in the quad draw for the first year at the US, which is super exciting. And so I guess from your point of view, how you see wheelchair, where you see wheelchair heading, and what that means now, particularly for you in the quad divisions, to have sixteen players. Yeah, I mean, I, I feel like feel like we've 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 struggled with equality within our own sport for, for a long, long time. And, you know, it, it's, it starts from even back in the early, early of times in the night, you know, late nineties, when I first started uh, wheelchair tennis and the quad division was just getting established, you know, I mean, prize money was an issue. And, and for whatever reason, it started with 60% of the prize money goes to the men, 30% will go to the women and 10% will go to the quads. And, and I never understood why that was like, I mean, what we're trying to be equal and have equality across the board. If we can't come to that equality in our own sport, you know, or, or with our own group, you know, we're going to, we're going to struggle. And so um, to, to see the U S open finally, finally jump on board with that this year and, and, and agree that, that yeah, 16 is, is what we do for one division. We do for all divisions, uh, men, women, and, and quads. Um, we're all we're all three open divisions and and it's men open women open and quad open right there's not there's not a difference there shouldn't be a difference um we're held to the same standard on itf rules and grand slam rules we're all held to the same standard so we should be all treated the same and so it was um you know when 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 the announcement came that 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 the u.s open went to, to 16 you know it was it felt really good to me because i i pushed for that i i lobbied for that and and um, and they, they listened, you know, and that, and that was really great. And I hope it, I hope it opens up the, uh, the gateway for others, uh, other slams to see that, that it works. Um, and that equality is, is the way we should be in our sport. You know, we want to be equal. Um, and, and, you know, maybe, maybe one day in the future, we get to 128 draw in, in wheelies, <laughs> that, that would be a dream come true. Right. I mean, I, I mean, it's a, catch 22 because that means there's more disabled people do we really want that who knows right but but the fact that if we had that many numbers and we could we could uh fulfill that we could fill that draw then then it would be you know it'd be awesome so i'm, I'm all about pushing pushing the numbers and, and increasing the draw size um and 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 watching the sport and each division grow i mean they only you're only going to get better when you increase draw sizes and have more equality and more more inclusivity uh, to, to allow more people to have the opportunity to play and, and make some money, make a living at it, uh, train harder, travel with coaches, right? Like, like all that does is, is in the long run, improve each division. Um, you know, the, the, our men's division is, is very, uh, very has, has a lot of great players in it. Our women's division has a lot of great players in it. The quad, the quad division is getting there with more and more and more great players moving up the, the rankings, um, and 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 getting involved, and I think that 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 is a direct correlation to the fact that draw sizes in Grand Slams have gone up. We started at four, you know, four quads for the longest time, and if you weren't in that four, it was it was hard as hell to to break into that four. Uh, then we finally got it to eight. 
all across the board. So eight, eight and eight, and there was equality. And then we lost that for one year um, and at the U S open. And, and now, now we're back this, this year with 16. And the, the hope is that, that, that inspires and motivates other grand slams to, to see that it works and, and do the same thing. It is great now that we've got 16 and you were talking about the PR before. And I, I think the more players that are playing too, that the more countries that get behind it, because when I explain to people here about David Wagner or Gordon Reed, you know, that you guys are superstars or Heath um, in your own countries. And, and that's how it really does truly grow as well by, you know, the greater the participation, the more people that know about it as well. Indeed. Yes. So next year, we've got the Paralympics in Paris, um, and that is run at the same time as the US Open. I've had a couple yeah. of chats with the US Open because we don't get to play the US Open next year as the Paralympics trumps the US Open, apparently. I do believe, and I've had chats with people, that if the Olympics is run at the same time as a major, players get compensated because they, if they choose to play the Olympics or the Olympics for the Aberbods, they get compensated for not playing the slam. Do you think that us wheelchair players should be able to choose whether to go to a Paralympics or play a Grand Slam, or do you think that the dates should move? Or what? What's your opinion on that whole whole dilemma that we're going to have next year? Yeah, you know, it's it's an interesting one, you know, because ever since we got into the U.S. Open, it's been like that. So. I believe I believe we first got into the U.S. Open in two thousand six or seven. Um, well, if you go back and you look at at the U.S. Open, there was no two thousand eight, there was no two thousand twelve, and there yeah. was no two thousand sixteen. Right. So so this isn't unprecedented. It has happened before. Now, does that yeah. mean it's right, or we should not try to figure out a way to? You know, we we still should try to figure out a way to 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 have both. Um, because it it is very important that, that we get both in, um, and it's not 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 just important from a from a financial standpoint from from us players who who play it who 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 rely on this as our livelihood and our way our way to continue to play and compete right and earn, earn our prize money, but it also is is a is a out of sight out of mind type of thing for the spectators. You know, if if the spectators show up and and. They showed up last year and they were like, gosh, I, I really enjoyed watching that match of Gordon and Alfie or 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 David and Heath, right? Whomever it was, right? I really enjoyed that match. I look forward to watching them again next year. And then and then they show up and there is no wheelies and there is no information on as to why the wheelies are gone or you know, no, 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 no understanding for the general public who comes say to watch that. That's a opportunity lost that, that they're not able to see. So, so it, it, it does reach deeper than just, you know, us needing the slams for, for making, uh, making a living, but, but it does, you know, to, to grow the sport and keep spectators involved and, and keep people coming back and wanting to be part of it, you know? So, um, from, from, from a standpoint of watching and enjoying the, the tennis, the wheelchair tennis, I, I'm not aware, or I was unaware that if you played the Olympics over the Paralympic or the, uh, Grand Slams, that you would be some sort of compensation. Um, I mean, sure. I, I mean, I would never turn that down. I think, I think it would be great uh, for us. I can understand the the troubles or, or the hardships that that could cause. I understand that. And, and where do you draw the line? And, and, and uh, you know, because you've you got four wild cards into the Paralympics as opposed to 
two into the slams and and just who who would get the money and where does it fall and so i mean it's it's interesting so um yeah i mean we we kind of run into the same sort of dilemma as the pair of pan am games for us which is north america versus south america and uh you know not all the top able-bodied americans play in our pair of pan am games and it's not it's not really because there's another event going on it's just they choose not to play that tour stop essentially and that's every four years as well yeah it's it's a tough one i mean i i i would hope that uh you know moving forward we can continue to have an open dialogue with the u.s open and and have it so that you know they understand our our point of view and and we we need to understand their point of view and and understand the Paralympics point of view and, and understand that like, you know, at either one of those two events, you probably do want the best of the best of the best wheelies to be at both of them somehow, some way. And uh, it's just an unfortunate situation again, that it has fallen at the same time. And I feel like there, there are some options and some, some ways to work around, definitely come up with some workarounds and make it still go might not be the most ideal but there are some options and and i think we have to entertain all those options and yeah i think i think i mean it would be be phenomenal if we could figure out a way to to continue and have both paralympics and and u.s open because I, I did i did hear and i, I mean, maybe it was you heath that told me but i think i heard in 2028 the olympics are gonna coincide at the same time as wimbledon yeah, if, that, if that's the case, I I can't imagine you know whomever is playing at Wimbledon at the time not playing Wimbledon to go play the Olympics in 2028 in LA. But I I don't know. I mean, my guess is my guess is on on a grand scale, they they would probably try to figure out how to maneuver both and get both on the calendar because that that's big money pit money stop for both Paralympic and and US Open or Wimbledon. I mean, so they they want the top top players there because that that generates a large amount of revenue um so so i don't know what what that future holds for that but you know i i i know that there's been some talks with the us open and uh you know and and we we've, we've got to be open and understanding to their reasoning and and hope that in return they're they're willing to listen to what us as a group have to say now i i know you've got a great rivalry and friendship with heath but Prior to Heath coming on the scene, there was another Aussie that you used to have great battles with, Dylan. And tell us about some of your interactions and matches with Dylan. Yeah, we we played a fair bit of matches. And at at the time when Dylan and I battled each other and had this rivalry, you know, it was was in a slam oftentimes that we'd play each other. And there was a lot of our tour stops where... It was he and I, and and he'd make the final. I'd make the final, so we'd battle each other through through, through into the finals. But but you know the slams being being only four players and and being round robin, we ended up playing each other twice, right? It, it, at the slams. So if if we both made the final, we were playing each other in pool play, and then then playing each other again in the finals. So so the rivalry it grew quickly because of that. Um, where where you where other now that we don't have that and, and we're not in round robins at, at all four grand slams, you know, I mean, th- there's a chance that you could go all year and not play the top guy again or whatever. So, so yeah, Dylan and I had, had lots of long rivalries and, and, and when he first came on the scene, you know, we battled and, and had, had some really good matches and, you know, he got the better of me towards the end, end of his, his time. But yeah, I mean, the thing is, is like it's it's players like that who have always presented an issue for me to, to have to play. Uh, they're you know, they're strong. They're they're fast. They have good hands, good touch, good strokes. 
right? And I, I have to adjust my game to, to be able to battle and, and fight with those that style of player. So so the reality is, is, is it's made my game jump and increase and become a better player myself, you know? And so and that's kind of the beauty of, of rivalries is, is like, you know, you, you, you learn from, from previous matches and sometimes you don't get the opportunity to play each other again in, in the same year, but he and I certainly did because we, we had round robins. So, so, you know, we were guaranteed to play each other four times a year. Well, five times if you take in the tour finals. So, so we were guaranteed that, and that's, you know, that's pretty rare to, to have a rivalry that guarantees you five times a, a year to play each other in, in our sport. You know, he he uh, he raised some awareness in the sport, did really well for himself, got, got a lot of awareness for himself. You know, it, it's... Uh, do you miss him on tour? Do I miss him on tour? Yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, I didn't really hang out with the guy on tour, so uh, I can't really say I miss him. You know, I, I miss probably what he brought to, to the whole tour as far as like being charismatic. Definitely raising awareness in Australia, for sure. Raising raising the awareness of of wheelchair tennis down there, and definitely making the most of it for himself. So I mean, we we've got some great players now that that you know I think I think he could struggle with playing these guys now and build a nice rivalry with them as well. So you know it it just it just raised the bar set a standard and and it's just continued on on from there. Moving forward and the advocacy you do for the sport, just talk us through some of you know. What, what you're doing and, and how you're helping grow the sport. And also in the States, if someone wants to get into wheelchair tennis, what's their best avenue? Yeah. So, well, for me personally, I, I run some clinics and, and uh, I, I help promote through, through my clinics, basically uh, the, the David Wagner clinics that we've set up um, throughout the States. Uh, it initially started with me helping at some of our USTA all comers camps. I no longer help with those as much anymore. And so we've started my own camp per se under under my name and and run those throughout the US actually we run them all over the world and so um but in the states yeah it's just about getting people involved there there's a level of you still want to make it fun but you also got to make it a little challenging and 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 set a standard so that it raises their level of play my latest camp we 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 uh, we raised some money so that we were able to allow every junior that wanted to come to my camp could come for free with no entry fees to the camp and that you know just something like that makes a huge difference because you got families that maybe can't afford it or or even if they can't afford it but it's an opportunity now hey i don't have to pay x amount of dollars to go to the david wagner camp i'm gonna save that money and after the camp i'm gonna go play a tournament you know and 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 use that money for another event or another thing within the sport so so doing stuff like that has really been been something that i've i've thoroughly enjoyed and and uh, giving back to the sport, you know, and, and definitely wanted to raise people's awareness that through through uh, my camps that, that that they can take part in this great sport, you know, and and part part of my camps also are like I want to bring in as many coaches as I can teach them what I know as well. And so then so then we have this huge umbrella of coaches around the, the nation. So then, like you said, how do you get involved? Well, you get involved because now in your local area, you just have a coach who went to one of these camps and learned, you know, what we do and how the how wheelchair tennis runs and how how I run my camp and how I do my lessons and how I uh, how I would run drills and all of that. And now they can take that back to their local area and run that with their, you know, seven, eight, 10, 12 people that they've got in their local chapter. Um, and so, so just, just keeping it open, not, not just to wheelies, but keeping it open to able body guys uh, who want to coach or wheelies that want to coach, right. Just 
allowing them to come and be part of it is is pretty awesome uh, a way to get to get more and more people involved um but but literally the in the states the best option to to get involved is to to contact our rngb which is our national governing body which is the usta um and and we we have two 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 individuals there now J- J- jason harnett is is our uh, high performance wheelchair tennis manager and uh, we've just hired a, a another full-time staff evan inquist is uh, a full-time for wheelchair tennis through the usta so um that that that's kind of where you would start i think um if you truly have no idea where to begin i would go to the usta's website contact either one of those two and they'll be able to put you in touch with uh you know whomever it's coaching in your local area or the closest program to your area or, or, uh, or tournaments going on and whatnot. And, uh, and that, I think that that's super important. You know, we can't, can't lose sight of our NGBs that, that are doing, trying to do so much for, for us and for our sport. And so, yeah, that, that's how, that's how we kind of run about it here in the States is, is uh, we have lots of clinics, lots of camps. I run them, my own personal ones. The USDA still runs theirs. They're, they're all great, right? They have great, we all have great coaches. We all have great people involved in our camps. As long as there's a, a desire and a willingness to have the camps and have athletes show up, that then then we're going to continue to do it. Yeah, it's awesome, Wags. I've uh, spoken to you um, over the years about potentially coming over and helping out in one of your camps at some stage. Um, so, yeah, we'd like to get over at some point and do that. And I know back home, Tim, who is obviously on the call on the podcast with us, he has a lot to do with the Hume Tennis and Community Center where we do our lead-ins and um, we do some junior stuff out there because it's the tennis hub and it's it's really cool to see the numbers that we've got in Australia at the moment. It's growing, which is really cool. And I, I know firsthand when you're here, we have a lot of our, our juniors come and want to hit with you because you're so good at what you do. So Yeah, thanks, man. Yeah, I mean, I, I've, you know, I've been lucky to, to run camps in Egypt and and in Holland and and just you know all over the world, right? And, and do some in South America at the end of this year, and plus the ones here in the states, you know. So just to be able to run camps all around the world is is just awesome to be able to give back, you know. And and I know you guys do a great uh, there at the Hume Center. You guys do a great job with the juniors, those two lead ups, you know. And so uh, anytime I see those kiddos like starting up and talking, and they, and they're with like Steve and Holly, Holly, yes, yeah, Steve and Holly and. And a crumpy and all those guys are giving them the, you know, kind of giving them the business about how to be a good player and all that. You know, I'll always pop in and just say, Hey, and give, give the kids some high fives and fist bumps or, you know, whatever they, whatever they need and always offer and be open to, to hitting with those kids and then answering any questions they may have and, you know, chair set up or any, anything that they, they, they have questions with, um, you know, I'll always willing to help, you know, cause, cause I know when I was there and I got the help, I know how meaningful it was to me too. Yeah, I mean, I I, I want to give back as much as I can and and help out as much as I can, and you know, it's it's fun, and and I I don't just limit my camps to juniors, right? My camps are open to to adults as well, and, and all all skill levels, and and that you know that that's the beauty of it. And actually, you just talking about that there, Dave, and I think one of the great things that that does happen at Hume is that we do have the juniors event there at the same time when all the senior events are on, and. For them to be, you know, the aspiration and inspiration to be there and to be around the best players in the world. But it it did trigger a memory last year when we were on a rain delay and 
Holly was taking the juniors around and sort of giving them an education about all the different parts of the sport. And and I came out the back and there you were with, you know, I think about eight to 10 of the juniors just talking to them about, about your experiences. And you remember that? I do. Yeah, I do. I absolutely do. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's just, that's, that's the things I enjoy, you know, and, 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 you know, if, if, if my life experiences in the sport can, can influence and impact, impact a, a junior or an adult or, or somebody who's just kind of starting out or, or has concerns or questions or, or, you know, even uncertainties about it, you know, it's, it's awesome to be able to like ex- express, you know, Hey, look, I, I'm where I'm at. He's where he's at. You know, we're all, we're all, all of us senior players are where we are, but we've all been where you guys were too. You know, we, we, we understand the, the nervousness of the first matches and, and the, the, the uncertainty of line calling or chair umpire or, or new balls and all of that, you know? And so j- just to let them know that like what they're going through, we've all been through too, you know? So um, that, that part is awesome to me, you know? And, and, and then, uh, and then, you know, it, it goes so much deeper than just wheelchair tennis too, right? Just the sport. It, it, it helps in life. You know, you, you got questions on medical supplies or, or everyday wheelchairs or, you know, how, how, how do you, how do you get dressed in your wheelchair or, or, you know, Hey, how, how do you get through this door or how do you go here? Right. So it, it's deeper and, and way more beyond than just the sport of tennis. It's, it's about sharing life experiences uh, within the disabled community and, and showing those kids that, that, yeah, you got a disability, but, but that, that doesn't limit what you can do and who you can be. Um, and, and, uh, you just got to get out there and, and make it happen. So I, I love doing that. Yeah. So I absolutely remember that. In fact, in fact, I still talk to a lot of those kids. I get messages from them all the time on, uh, on the Instagram and social media all the time. So that's fun. It's fun to stay in touch with I mean, those guys. So. It drives me nuts. Cause I'm supposed to be their favorite player, but I'm not. So, um. <laughs> <laughs> uh, they, they say, they say, they say you are, but then. When I talk and you're not around, I just tell him, well, why would you guys pick him? Yeah, pretty much. He's like he's tried to emulate his slice from mine because mine's so much better. (laughs) I don't know about that. Just want to say thank you to Dave for joining us today. It's always good to have somebody that personally I look up to in wheelchair tennis because to me, Dave's just done it all. And I guess that rivalry that he had with Dylan over the years, I think has sort of sort of moved on to me now. Me and Dave play each other a fair bit. We've played each other mm. four times this year and I think he's beaten me all four times. Mm. I thought he was getting older and slower, but he still keeps getting it done over me. So <laughs> I've got to somehow manage to um, figure out ways that I can get the upper hand over him next time. got to get older, Heath. Yeah, that's it, mate. I'm going bald, so I'm not too far off. You've still got a great set of hair on you. I mean, we always have great battles out there, and it's always fun being out on court with Dave. So um, just thank you. Thank you for everything you've done for wheelchair tennis, mate, and the quads. Super appreciate it uh, personally because without you and I guess your Pete and folks and your Dylan's, um, we wouldn't be in the, I wouldn't be in the position that I am today being able to do this for a living. So, yeah, huge thank you from me, mate. And um, can't wait to see you over in Barcelona at the Masters. Yeah, thanks, man. Appreciate it. I look forward to it too. And yeah, man, we'll just just keep moving forward. And then uh, and you can let everybody on your podcast know that we're trying to work out how we're going to play doubles in the AO. We'll chat about that at the Masters, <laughs> eh? Yeah, we got to sort that out. Right, Tim? We're going to sort that out. And um, <laughs> sure, I don't know how that'll go. But 
Dave, thanks again, mate. We look forward to seeing you back in Australia soon and serving you up a few yeah. smushies and maybe a couple of cold ones as well. So Always, always. Thanks again. And that, and that's the best. We, we look forward to seeing you in a few months. Yeah, I look forward to it too. And uh, until then, uh, have a good rest of the year. Uh, happy New Year. And we'll see you, we'll see you Tim, soon. And, and uh, Heath, we'll see you in Barcelona. Sounds good, brother. All right, travel safe. The First Serve is your home of tennis at thefirstserve.com.au. Log on to find out all the details of our live radio show, other podcasts, read weekly features by our team of writers, and follow us on social media, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, TikTok, and subscribe to our YouTube channel.